This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. It wasn't that long ago we were talking about the incident in Grand Prairie, Alberta, targeting Christian Freeland when the deputy prime minister was verbally harassed in a profanity-laced tirade by a local resident. Now we're learning from conservative leader Pierre Polyev that a known far-right activist, Jeremy McKenzie, apparently sent a vile message targeting Polyev's wife, the Tory leader has since released a statement saying that the message in question was brought to the attention of the RCMP to investigate, joining Jane with reaction, the Recovering Politicians panel. Charles Souza, former Ontario Liberal Finance Minister, Sherry DeNovo, former NDP MPP and recipient of the Order of Canada, and Lisa Raitt, former Deputy Leader of the Federal Conservatives. I just hope that both what happened with Christia Freeland and in this case that these that these individuals uh, see charges of some sort. I, I mean, I want I want to see an example be made of, quite frankly, so that folks take a, like a second breath to figure out whether or not this is acceptable behavior or not acceptable behavior. And I, um, it, it's terrifying. I, I had the opportunity to speak to two female cabinet ministers of different parties across the provinces. In the past two days, and we all shared stories about being afraid, about being afraid in public. And this this has to stop. I mean, I know it has to stop, but honestly, we need society to rise up and, and we need some charges on this stuff. Charles, what are your initial thoughts on both of these incidents? You know, you often hear that when you get into politics, you have to develop a thick skin. But there's a line that's crossed when you start talking about your families. And... I get it. You know, politics, people disengage. Sometimes they take a narrow point of view. This whole influence that's being associated with social media creates some disengagement and fragmentation. But when people are threatened, when people feel afraid to be out in public or go to a parade and be hassled, that's crossing the line. And I can speak from experience. I've never felt threatened. I I mean, the 11 years I was there, I I felt okay. I, I never worried about it until... One guy who was stalking us for two years started to talk about my wife. And then the OPP got involved, and they went to check out what he was all about. And it's, an, it's disturbing that these things take place. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what kind of surveillance or what you do to uh, avoid engaging in breaching privacy issues, but there has to be some kind of uh, – some kind of uh, – Something has to be corrected, and I don't know what the punishment is in these instances, but, you know, you have Trump in the South who was uh, somewhat cowardly, I find, providing and supporting misinformation, and yet when you travel through the U.S. and then you end up in Ontario, you have these F.U., F. Trudeau signs everywhere Mm -hmm. as well, and it seems acceptable, and it shouldn't be. Sherry, what are your thoughts on what's going on? 
Well, Charles uh, makes a very important point. This is gender-based violence. Um, this is happening to women disproportionately, and of course, women in the public eye even more disproportionately, uh, and that goes for wives of as well. But I think of the, the situation with Christian Freeland, Catherine McKenna. I mean, I have had those kinds of attacks aimed at me online and uh, and on the phone and to our constituent office. I, I, in fact, you know, thinking about it, I don't know any woman in politics that hasn't felt intimidated by somebody in this way at some point. Um, in terms of Pierre uh, Poiliev's response, though, uh, I mean, you know, I, I was thinking of that line from Chaucer, if you dine with the devil, you better have a very long spoon. I mean, he's been seen shaking this man's hand. Um, it was all over social media. He knows that Diagolon has been investigated as a potentially terrorist organization. Um, he's been courting these people, let's be frank, um, again, all over social media. And when it attacks him, it's a problem. He was very, you know, loathed. I mean, it took him a while to come forward about the Christian Freeland issue. Mm -hmm. um, you can't, you, you know, can't play favorites here. Um, these, these folk are dangerous and, uh, and, and we know, you know, some of them, we know this one in particular. And, uh, of course, I mean, I don't know why charges are being laid against him, um, to Lisa's point. I mean, it's very clear who did it. It's very clear what this organization stands for. I mean, we saw, you know, the van attacks in cell. And there are certain organizations that are misogynist by nature. We know who they are. Um, and yet somehow we allow them to continue. Um, and I, and I think that's, that's, quite, that's truly terrifying. So, um, you know, a little bit too little too late here, um, but hopefully this opens his eyes and, um, and he starts defending all women, not just his wife. Sherry DeNovo, former NDP MPP and recipient of the Order of Canada, Charles Souza, former Ontario Liberal Finance Minister, and Lisa Raitt, former Deputy Leader of the Federal Tories. Fightbacks Recovering Politicians Panel. This is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. Yet another warning about the crisis in our health care system. Once again, it's about staffing. The Canadian Union of Public Employees, or CUPE, calling for 15,000 new hires this year alone just to keep emergency rooms and other units from closing. In total, CUPE says 46,000 more hospital staff must be hired to deal with a turnover rate that's almost double pre-COVID levels. Libby talked to Dr. Jamie Spiegelman, internal medicine and critical care physician at Humber River Hospital, and Mike Merriman, paramedic and EMS chair of CUPE Local 416. That's the bottom line. That's the concern. You know, chronic understaffing and mismanagement and underfunding for decades have unfortunately led us to where we are today. There's no end in sight. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Spiegelman, uh, I'm curious about the turnover rate. Uh, Humber River, of course, is, uh, you know, the digital hospital, the most technologically advanced. Are you finding that your turnover is is that much higher than it was before the pandemic? Well, the problem is uh, there's a domino effect, right, that, we, that we're seeing. We're seeing the paramedics bringing a patient into the emergency room, and that patient stays in the emergency room because there's not enough nurses in the emergency room taking care of the patients in the emergency room. But once those patients are seen and by specialists and are admitted to the hospital, there's a domino effect in our hospital where the floors don't have enough 
nursing is so that patients stay in emergency room longer than they should because there's not enough nurses on the floors taking care of patients on the floors. Even though there's beds there, there's no manpower to take care of those patients on the floor. So what we're seeing right now in our, our hospital, and I think all hospitals that I'm aware of, is this domino effect where there's not enough staff, nursing staff, health, uh, cleaning staff, like it's everything in the hospital. So it's a domino effect where it's being backed up all the way to the paramedics. What about your attrition rate? What's that been like, Mike? Uh, we're averaging a resignation about uh, roughly one a week, which is alarming. Uh, pre-pandemic, um, I can't say what the numbers were, but I mean, it, they weren't even enough to cause concern before the pandemic as to the amount of, uh, you know, the, the number of paramedics who are actually leaving. But now, uh, you know, during the pandemic or the height of the pandemic and post-pandemic, it's it's about one a week that are resigning to move on to either fire services or other other uh, paramedic services uh, within the GTA. And uh, a lot of that's cost of living in Toronto too. That's you know forcing them out to work for other services. So it's cost of living. Um, what about the job has become? more difficult over this period, Mike? Well, it's, yeah, that's obviously part of it too, Libby. It's the pace, it's the, uh, you know, even the nature of the calls to some degree with Toronto obviously having a lot more, uh, you know, gunshot wounds and, and deaths as a result, the opioid crisis, crisis it all takes its toll on on uh, paramedics and, uh, you know, they move on to greener pastures out to the GTA, other services where, call volume may not be quite as high and uh, again cost of living is cheaper for them they don't have a you know a lot can't afford to live in the city so it's 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 they have you know their long shifts they may have an hour an hour and a half commute into the city can't afford to rent or buy in the city so um there's a lot a lot of factors that are driving them uh out of toronto and 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 obviously one big issue is the you know the, the 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 pay rate Pay rate is not really any higher than it is in the rest of the province. In fact, uh, Durham region actually pays its paramedics more. So there's not a whole lot of incentive for, you know, to keep paramedics in Toronto right now. Dr. Spiegelman, what what realistically would you like to see happen to, you know, alleviate this situation? Like we mentioned multiple times here, I think it comes down to having enough staff in the hospital uh, to stop that domino effect of backing up all the way to EMS. So it comes down to, from my perspective, in the hospital, uh, enough nurses, enough nurses working in every department, in the merge, on the medical floors, in the ORs. So I think we need a solution to retain and increase our number of nurses. Dr. Jamie Spiegelman, internal medicine and critical care physician at Humber River Hospital, and Mike Merriman, paramedic and EMS chair of CUPE Local 416. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, kicking the Eglinton LRT can down the tracks again. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zuma Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. 
Have you been around Eglinton lately? Or maybe any time in the last decade or so? That's how long the LRT has been under construction, and to say it's bad for business is an understatement. And we just learned about another delay. It was supposed to be finished in 2020, but the dates are pushed back annually. So the new completion date is 2023, with no guarantee they won't just delay it yet again. Some are even calling for a public inquiry. Libby discussed with City Councilor Mike Cole, Ward 8, Eglinton Lawrence, and Maureen Sirwa, Chair, Eglinton Way, BIA. Just uh, mad as hell as all the residents are, thousands of residents are mad as hell. All the small shopkeepers in Eglinton are just uh, livid uh, that uh, of this latest delay, and they have given no future date. They say they don't know when now. They don't even have a date. Could be twenty five. Who knows? Oh, I thought it was twenty twenty three. I misspoke. No, that's nothing. No date. What is the rationale? Did did they explain what the reason for the delay is? No, no explanation. Uh, they just said they're having some problems at the station, and that's why we need an inquiry here because they won't tell us what the engineering problem is. They won't tell us what the blockages and uh, how they're going to fix it. So if we don't know and they won't explain the uh, obstacle here and getting it done, uh, you know, we can't really find a solution here. So they haven't explained uh, why they can't get this done and they're refusing to give any details. And, uh, you know, we want to know what the problem is and then we can fix it. They're pushing the fix. But right now they are not disclosing any of the uh, serious uh, uh, problems they found underground, and they're not, uh, you know, coming clean with the people uh, in the Eglinton community. Maureen Sirwa, give me a sense of the businesses affected. You have a number of businesses that are closing. I I drive by there occasionally, and uh, I see storefronts papered over. Hi there. Yeah, there's lots of businesses that are um, businesses closed for various reasons. Um, sometimes the people retire. Sometimes it has to do with um, lack of business. The pandemic certainly didn't help uh, a lot of the businesses uh, along the Eglinton Corridor who were struggling at the beginning and then continued to suffer. So we don't have any hard numbers on on the why the business is closed, but you can certainly see that there's vacancies. And the other problem is that who's going to rent a store if the uh, LRT is continually delayed? No one would take that on. So it's very hard on the property owners and the landlords who want to rent those shops. And um, there's no certainty on an opening date. Well, Libby, I counted, I went uh, door to door. I counted 125 stores that were closed earlier this year. Uh, and sure, some of them, as Maureen said, could be a result of pandemic, etc. But there's no doubt about it that uh, when you can't even get into the front door of your store and there's been major uh, cranes and uh, construction equipment uh, which obstructs parking. So we've had 125 that I counted were closed earlier this year. And obviously some of it has to be the result of the traffic uh, hell and the construction hell. Let us give our panelists 30 seconds each to sum it up, uh, starting with Maureen. So um, 
I, in many ways, I agree with Mike that we need to hold Metrolinks accountable. They need to really um, get back to us, and and I agree with his idea of having that um, inquiry. And we need to get to the bottom of it. And the other thing is, we also need to look towards the future for the businesses who are going to be facing this similar problem going forward on the Ontario line. It's not going to go away, and it's going to impact more people and business. Um, Transit cannot be built on the backs of small business. Okay, Michael, last 20 seconds to you. Well, you know, public transit is supposed to be a dream. In Eglinton, it's become a total nightmare. So let's get some answers and find out how many billions they're wasting here. Let's get some answers. That's what I'm saying. City Councilor Mike Cole, Ward 8, Eglinton Lawrence, and Maureen Sirwa, Chair, Eglinton Way, BIA. This is Zuma Radio's Best to Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. Who isn't spending less these days? Almost every Canadian, according to a new survey that finds 9 in 10 counting their pennies, almost 7 in 10 most likely to be reining in discretionary spending, while about half are putting off any major purchases. Libby went behind the numbers with personal finance expert Barry Choi. Everyone seems to be feeling it these days. You know, first it wasn't a big deal, but we've seen interest rates jump. Uh, we've seen inflation at all-time highs. You know, you just go to the grocery store, you start to wonder, is like how much higher can these things go? So it's no surprise that people are cutting back. Uh, right. And uh, what are people cutting back on? You know, I think it really depends on the person and their financial situation. You know, I, I think the most obvious place that we're seeing prices increase right right now are grocery stores. Like everyone needs to buy groceries, and, and you know, when you see your grocery bills go up ten, twenty dollars each week, uh, I think people are looking in those places to cut back first because it's something naturally that happens every single week. Uh, but also, obviously, things such as major purchases. You know, at start, when the pandemic was starting to kind of come out of its face, just keep in mind the pandemic still going on. Uh, people were still traveling, but now I'm hearing a lot less people talk about traveling. And I'm hearing a lot more people saying they're delaying major expenses, expenses such as home renovations or even like new laptops. Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. What about all this uh, extra savings? During the pandemic, we kept hearing about, you know, obviously, it's a tale of two pandemics. Some people hit really hard financially. A lot of people doing just fine. Thank you very much. There are people who kept on uh, with their jobs. They worked remotely or whatever uh, and banked a lot of money because there wasn't a lot to spend money on then. So there's this pent up demand. We've seen like total insanity at airports, <laughs> all of that. So what happened is all that extra money that we kept hearing about, is it all gone? I don't know if gone is the right word. So, so you know, you say the good point. During the pandemic, some people were able to, to get ahead because they were spending less. They were able to save. And they probably spent that money on other things. You know, maybe they used it to travel. Maybe they used it to those home renovations. But as far as money is now, maybe they're just seeing, a, like, hey, you know what? Inflation has gone up. My savings rate isn't as high. Maybe I just need to not spend that money I saved to create that buffer. And unfortunately, on the other end of the spectrum, those people who have struggled mightily during the pandemic and this is just like the double whammy. Now you've got inflation, costs are going up. Uh, they're struggling. So, so it's, it's a really weird situation we're, we're in right now that we haven't seen in quite some time. What are some of the other things that, just before we go, Barry, that people can cut back on without, you know, really feeling a pinch? You know, 
it's really hard at these times because if you're going to cut back, you know, you can only cut back on so many things. You know, me telling someone to cut back on your daily coffee that saves you $3 isn't going to make a huge difference, especially if you're already on a fixed income. And, you know, for people who are actually worth saving, you know, they're already probably coming back on savings. So, so right now it's a very difficult time because there's no real solution. You know, it's easy for me to sit here and tell you, oh, yeah, just increase your income. But in reality, how many people can actually do that? So I feel like right now where everyone's going to feel the pinch, uh, but you got to look at your individual situation and see what you can do and, and just figure it out. Like, again, I don't want to generalize these things because it is, I do recognize it's a very difficult time for many people. Mm-hmm. And uh, in terms of, uh, I guess, entertainment budgets, things like that, uh, it's funny that you mentioned the coffee. That's always, the, sometimes that's the first thing that financial planners bring out. You know, if you cut out that really expensive coffee, at the end of the month, you'd have something. You know, I do think that can help for some people, but try to tell that to someone who's on a fixed income, uh, who, who has already cut everything they possibly have, but they're still seeing inflation affect their, their, their monthly budget, right? Personal finance expert, Barry Choi. I'm Bob Comsick, and you're listening to The Best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Jim in Niagara called to say grocery store prices cannot be justified. We got a politician who uh, runs this on Ontario, who's a businessman, not a not a politician, and that's why we got so much construction. So it's a guy, Doug Ford, who thinks he's king of Ontario, and his playground is a Tobago, and that's why all these, a lot of these things are going on. The money is going to contractors. When he said he was going to put Ontario back in business, it didn't mean you and I. It meant the construction and developers. Brian and Caledon shared his family physician story. My uh, doctor, he retired in June. He's in his mid-80s and that. So on the weekend, on Sunday, I end up with a wasp bite on my forehead. I phoned his office because his daughter's a doctor with him, and she's not taking on any of his patients. So now I'm going to have to look for a doctor. But the one thing, I went to three walk-in clinics last night, and all of them said to me, oh, you got to call and make an appointment. And I said, this is a walk-in clinic. Lynn in Stony Creek is lucky, but called in to say how a friend is not. I have a doctor, but my girlfriend does not. And apparently he lost his license. No one was no one was notified. And all the patients were left without a doc. That's that's right. And my girlfriend has a lot of problems. And she her only other thing is to go to a walk in, but that doesn't do any good. Mary in Mississauga will miss hers. I think that a lot of people are catching on to the games that those in government are pay- playing, and they're getting fed up. And it's nothing. There is nothing that, or it feels like there is nothing that anyone can do about it, uh, unless you want to go and stand on the corner and start screaming. But um, um, it's just. 
I can't believe actually that this is happening in our democratic society, and I can't believe that they are allowed to get away with this $191 million in bonuses. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Kathy in Burlington whose family doctor proved to be a lifesaver. I have a family doctor who's been wonderful, um, but I had a medical problem and I needed to go back to a specialist. I called the specialist because I've been there a year previous, but you have to have, you have to see the, the doctor, the specialist within a year, otherwise you need another referral. Anyway, I couldn't get through to her. Her mailbox was full. I called every day, never got a return call. I finally found, uh, called my family doctor she called her directly. I got in to see her within a week. Turns out I had cancer and had to go to the Jervinsky. Wow. Now, if it hadn't been for my family doctor, I don't know how long I would have waited. And maybe by that time it would have spread. Luckily, they got it in time and I'm fine. But oh, I good. just wanted to say my family doctor is wonderful. And I don't know what we do without her. We're both, my husband and I are both seniors. So where, where do we go now? Where do we find another doctor? She re- retires and she's getting to that age that she's probably thinking about it. That does it for this week's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us between noon and one weekdays, or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca, follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby, and call our Fightback voicemail anytime, 416-367-9636. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the Best to Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.